Founders Frame, it's your host Ron Rapitalo, and I've got a treat with a friend of 20 years from my NYU days, Kwamara Thompson. And I think what you're going to appreciate about this episode with Kwamara is hearing how she's made a couple of pivots, but stay true to who she is in terms of the impact and values that she's had in her lives. So you'll hear a little bit about her time splitting between New York, uh, New Jersey area, and going home to New Orleans to spend time with her relatives there, which I didn't know that she did until I got on the podcast with her. So check it out and got to give props to my folks at Leverage Publishing Group. We're looking to ghostwrite and publish first-time authors. Check us out, leveragepublishinggroup.com. Peace. Ronderings fam, Ronderings universe. We back. Got my NYU buddy. God, I think it's been 20 years. Kwamara Thompson. We have been and a lot of things together, NYU, alumni stuff, giving back to the Center of Multicultural Education and Programming, career moves, um, entrepreneurial moves, yeah. now you in Miami and just killing the game. So I just, I'm just really grateful you're making time to talk to me. So Kamara Thompson, what's going on? What's up, Ron? I'm so honored to be here. No, thank you for offering. It has been a journey. I'm has it been 20 years? It's been 20 blissful years. I mean, time really does fly. Um, <laughs> you're like, you're like young students. Uh, <laughs> Walking in Washington Square Park and going to all the old haunts and going to parties and exactly. events and oh trying God. to do papers and maybe avoiding them. <laughs> maybe we went to the last minute, uh, but we still went through and unscathed. Uh, but I think we both really enjoyed our NYU experience, which has been um, really culminating, like how we've seen our career and like the ways that we give back to the school and our in our passion for education, just in general, I think really helped formulate our our friendship at NYU. So that was it's great to just see that continuum. Not everyone has has those types of collegiate experiences, and so I'm really grateful that we were able to cultivate such a nice, long lasting one. Amen to the next twenty years. Next so, years. but the the episode just began, so we got more to talk about. So, Kamara. <laughs> What's your story? What's your story? Yeah, what's my story? So I guess I will talk a little bit about my journey before NYU. You know, you know, it's interesting. I always think like, why am I the person that I am? Like, how did I get to this place? I think you and I talk a lot about like a lot of self-reflection and like, what is, what is the mean? You know, we talk all, all high. What is the meaning of life? And we are always like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But one of the, I think one of the constant themes is um, I'm always authentically who I am. I mean, I feel really comfortable in so many different spaces. And oftentimes people are just kind of like, how do you do that? And I had to think like, why? Why am I like this? And I think a, a lot mm. of it has to do with the experiences that I had growing up. Mm. Um, I was born in New York City, uh, St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. Shout out. Nah. That yeah, is. Come on now. Shout out where you born. Okay. And uh, then we moved to Jersey when I was like three, but I still like almost every weekend was hanging out with my uh, paternal grandmother in Harlem. And I was actually just speaking, like I was going to historical landmarks, not even realizing like that they were historical or landmark, right? I'm like hanging right. out every weekend at the Apollo. I'm going to uh, with my grandmother. We're going to Sylvia wow. to go eat, you know, Ooh. go eat the Dropping, dropping spots. I'm just dropping spots, right? And she, 
And she was living on 135th and Lenox, which, as you know, is right across from Schaumburg Theater and Harlem Hospital. And just just so many different things when you're thinking, man, that, that was one part of my story. Then the other part is my mother is from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I would spend a, a portion of my summer and, of course, holidays visiting my family there. My mother is the only one who, out of her immediate family, left and went to went to college. So everyone was there, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncle, my cousins, just another place that felt like home. And then, of course, I also grew up in like the suburbs of New Jersey on 80 acres of land and uh, mm. you know, very upper middle class, went to private school, etc. But, you know, I'm going to private school. I'm going to Harlem. I'm hanging out in New Orleans, Louisiana, which, you know, as as you know, has like, you know, just like any other city has disparate crime rates and not everyone is, you know, has a great socioeconomic background. And even when I was a kid, I used to think to myself, like, why, why am I learning? Why, why, why are my cousins learning stuff um, in eighth grade that I learned in fourth grade? <laughs> why are their books like all messed up? And like, I was already starting to think like there's a disparity around the ways that I was able to be raised and the way that they were able to be raised. And I all, always was just questioning, like, why is that? Why is it just because of a zip code? Um, and that was just me being curious, not really thinking much more about it, but just, I guess, that foundational curiosity was there. And so when I went to NYU, when I got into NYU, part of that, I should also swing back to say, part of me getting into NYU and deciding that I wanted to do Tish was because I always wanted to be in the theater arts. I love stories and I love stories. Mm. Right. Um, and I love to like see the writing come up visually on a stage or, you know, do TV production. So when I was a junior in high school, so the neighborhood, the adjacent big town next to the town that I grew up in, Morristown, if you went to the high school, you would think it was a melting pot. But actually, based off of the zip code, that's how people were segregated within the, the town itself. So like, you know, mm. there was King Boulevard. Um, which were, they had the projects, and that's where, quote-unquote, most of the Black kids lived. Ain't that the irony that MLK Boulevard in just about every damn neighborhood is the demarcation of segregation? That's okay. crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, in every city, you know, like, if you're going to MLK Boulevard, you're like, oh, that's where that's where the hood is. That's where, you know, and you're, you're thinking, like, yeah, why is it that way? Why, why, have, why have people designed cities that way? Why have streets been named that way? And we could talk all about the the implications that that is and how that's not, how that was obviously purposely done, right? I mean, we can talk about how that all like breaks out. But yeah, so anyway, MLK. Then we also had a faction of folks who were from Latin America, uh, a huge population from people from Honduras, Colombia. And then they mm. were in one section. And then the outer section, which is kind of like what they call the township, where you had the multi-million dollar homes or primarily where the white kids lived. And then they all wow. went to school together, but they didn't really like interact. You know, you could go to the, you can go to the cafeteria and see, like, this is the black table, this is the spanning table, this is the white, you know how it was, right? right. And so I decided, like, you know, I want to talk about race relations in this in this town. And so I like, I went to this private school that gave me like the the freedom to to kind of create my own course study. When I decided, like, I'm going to do this. I love video camera. I've never edited. I've never put a movie together, and I created a race relations documentary where I literally would just go start talking to strangers, start talking to people about what their perceptions uh, of the other race. And then the culminating thing is I brought everyone to the community center. And for the first time had people who had never spoken to each other, who had really sometimes negative stereotypes about each other in a room together. 
and unearthing that. And like, by the way, some of those people were my own peers, right? So we we're high school students, sometimes talking to senior citizens who had never spoken to the other race before. They're like, right. only when you're like this bold <laughs> as a kid, because, you know, as a kid, you're just like, man, I'm going to do it because I'm going to save the world, right? And so part of that documentary got me into NYU Tisch School, early decision, et cetera, et cetera. And so while I was at NYU, obviously, and I went to Tisch, I really thought like I would be, you know, the next female Spike Lee. I thought I'd be Ava DuVernay before she was even existed. But what I did was, again, I had these really disparate opportunities. After school, I would go on the, or after classes, I would work in an after school program and I would go to Brownsville, Brooklyn. And we know Brownsville during that time was right. nice. I would take the L train to the last stop and then had to walk. <laughs> In the dark <laughs> to the school to work with uh, third they're like elementary school kids. They were so sweet. The sweetest kids. Oh, my God. I love them all. And then I get up Saturday morning and I will work with Korean students in Flushing, Queens. And then um, in my summertime, I would work with uh, the science camps where kids, I think their parents pay like a thousand dollars a week for them to go. And again, I'm seeing like, What's the difference in all of these students, all these kids' opportunities was really just their zip code, just where they happen to be born. But as a monolith, all kids are like the same. All human beings are the same. They want the best for themselves. They want the best for their children. They all Amen. have dreams. They all have aspirations. And that just because of your zip code, you're not better than anybody else. And so that really started my journey in the education space. And I'll just tell this one story and then we can talk a little bit more, but Still thinking I'm going to be, you know, Ava DuVernay, you know, I had like a little, a little stint. I had like a play doing uh, off Broadway. I had a play that was, that I had in London. Um, I had gotten some small acclaim for some small like documentary stuff that I had done, but I had graduated. I was working at that science camp and for the first time there was like a little black boy. In all the years I'd never seen a black child at the science camps. And so every day he was dropped off by his mom, little kid, five or six years old. Anyway, one day his dad dropped him off and said, who's KT? And I'm like, that's me. He was like, my son, he hated, he had the worst experience in school last year. He never wanted to go back to school. And he came here and he kept talking about you, what he was learning. And he must've said, he must say, he's like in love with you. He was like, KT this, KT that, blah, 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 blah. And you've made my son love learning again. And then he was asking me, what was I doing for my life? Well, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, I write plays and I'm going to be a famous director or whatever I was saying. And right. he was like, no, I'm the Patterson Board of Education president. Um, you have a job as a teacher. Education is your calling. And I just said, OK. Damn, that direct. Wow. Just that direct. Uh-huh. This story a lot lately. And so maybe about three or four years ago, I found him on LinkedIn and I sent him a message like, you totally changed the entire trajectory of what I thought my life was going to be. And thank you, because I think that I have much more. And one of the reasons I wanted to be a storyteller is because I wanted to impact and have people think and come together in different ways. And, you know, I have very grandiose visions, I think, as as we do when we're younger. Mm-hmm. Maybe to a degree, I, don't think, I don't think that grandiosity has stopped. I think I've become a little bit more audacious. <laughs> But I think that the platforms that I've been able to be in have actually allowed for much more impact than maybe I would have historically done if I just stuck to being a playwright or if I just stuck to being in the in the television space. And then ironically, 
in some ways I'm in entertainment and in media, right? I have my own YouTube. I'm constantly being asked to be on podcasts and we have different things in the work and just as it relates to entertainment. So, so it's there, but I think everything has a time and a place and um, the universe kind of knew what it was doing when it had me in all of these different experiences where I had to always be the odd woman out, but still find who I was authentically and feel comfortable in those spaces. And I really accredit that for just the upbringing I had, having to go between the suburbs of New Jersey, Harlem, New York City, New Orleans, Louisiana. That really shaped me, I think, and it leads me to the woman that I am today. Yeah. Stay really high level, but bring it also into all the experiences you've had, right? Because the way you grew up, I can't believe either I didn't remember, which is likely the case, that you had spent a lot of your summers in New Orleans. I don't think I knew. I, I always had you as like New Jersey, New York, Pomara. I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that here on this podcast. So you think about this idea of authenticity. How did those experiences shape what Kumara defines as authentic today? Like, what was it about that milieu mm. of experiences that got Kumara to show up? This is Kumara's authenticity. I'm going to tell y'all why and how. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I think when you're immersed in a culture, it's easy to assimilate into it, right? So, right. I and and. And to your point, let me just say, in New York, when, when I was in college, I was not spending as much time my summers in New Orleans. I was really like in my growing up years, right? But once I was in New York, I was kind of like there um, <laughs> for that, for those times. But okay. so I would come back. <laughs> I would come back with this like weird Southern, Northeastern like <laughs> accent. <laughs> a little bit of twang, a little bit of like uh, your coffee talk. Exactly. Oh my God. And so, um, and it'd be weird. I would, I would catch myself like, that's not how I sound. Like, why, why did I take that upon myself to start sounding like that? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to speak the way that I want to speak, the way that feels natural. And so I don't know if I was subconsciously when I was younger and still trying to find myself, find my way around assimilating so that, you know, I could fit in. And, and I was always the odd person out, whether that was like I was in private school when I was one of the few black kids or one of the few uh, minoritized children, uh, whether that was because like, you know, my, my dad is rich Uncle Phil, you know what I mean? And so like my family does not have the same, the rest of my family doesn't have that same type of socioeconomic uh, freedom that I had growing up. So my cousins also saw me as very different. And they're like, oh, here comes our Northern cousin who like, you know, thinks she's the shit or whatever, um, whatever they thought at that time. And then I was right. always called like Oreo and, you know, all these different, you know, all these different things that I was kind of, I was trying to shy away from, I think at first, but then eventually mm. I was just kind of like, you know what? I am who I am. I'm going to be weird. I mean, I would go to school in like berets and pat leather boots and bell bottoms. I'm mm. just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I'm just going to be me. And I'm just going to be the weird kid. <laughs> and so I remember, it's so funny. Like when you reflect back, I remember myself as like the weird kid who was kind of shy, but my friends who've known me like since high school and even since like I was in pre-K kindergarten, like, what are you talking about? You were like the most popular, <laughs> you're popular, people loved you, you were invited to all the things. And I was like, I think it was because I just always felt out of place. So it, it never occurred to me that that I was likable, really, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I, I haven't yeah. embraced my likability in, until like an adult, into yeah. adulthood mm -hmm. and embrace that. Yeah. But, you know, you go through those growing pains, I think, in 
but I just decided like one thing I wasn't going to do is change who I was. I, I'm just going to be the weird one. I'm going to have the weird haircuts. I'm going to wear the funky jewelry. I'm going to have the funky clothes. You know, I had a collection of like little brooches, <laughs> like I was a little grandma. I had a little clo- collection of brooches that I would wear that had to match my outfits. Like, I mean, it was just, I mean, that was insane. Um, but even yeah. now you can see like er- everything I do is like bold and I like to tell a statement with the clothes that I wear. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I like to tell a statement with the hairstyles that I that I rock. I know what's so funny about that is, you know, I know my parents as really conservative, in my opinion, conservative people. And I think we all think our parents are conservative. Yes. And listening to my aunts and uncle talk about my, especially my mom growing up. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like my mom sewed her own clothes and like she had like funky designs. And, you know, uh, my dad was a, uh, a writer and a freedom fighter and like all these things. The apple never falls far from those trees. I'm telling you, you yeah. learn stuff like that. You're like, wait a second, word? Like, oh wait, y'all was doing what I was doing, but wait, how did y'all like shift up and now, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you find those moments where my mom has a saying, because there'll, there'll be some things that I'll do. And she'll be like, mirror, mirror on the wall. I am my mother after all. And I'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. But no, I'm honored, you know, and I I know that I'm truly blessed to have had the, not only the upbringing, but also the foundation. Like my my parents certainly allowed us to be who we were, allowed Mm -hmm. us to fail productively. We're always supportive, uh, not judgmental. And that's not to say that we weren't disciplined. And that's not to say that they were like all gung-ho behind every one of our ideas necessarily. But we're always, they always treated us as like little human beings. Like, well, why do you want to do that? Talk more about that, you know, flesh out your thoughts. Uh, It helps, of course, that your father is a lawyer. So when I wanted different things, I remember I wanted a car and I had to write him a whole essay as to why I deserved one. (laughs) (laughs) College application? I know. If you look at the value of it, if I was that, I'm like, oh, wait, my teenage daughter want a word? You better make a really compelling argument because you're going to earn this. It comes with things. It comes with things, right? It comes with responsibility. Um, so, I mean, I was your typical teenager. You know, I, well, I'm not going to say I was a, an amazing child or anything like that, but certainly the foundation was there to be loving. And yeah. and family has always been something that my parents thought, not, and I don't mean like toxic. Like if we had toxic family members, they're like, we're not talking to those people, but like yeah. the loving family, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to stay in contact. We're going to continue to love on and be surrounded by that. And I think that's another reason why I love the idea of community so much you know one of the things that you you know ron and you and i love to do is create community begin community everything's about community we're like very cool by that here like community community but you know human beings we're relational we can't do anything in in isolation and silo and those people who do often find themselves you know depressed or etc etc so there is something to be said about having a uh, a positive community where you can fail productively where you can own up to your mistakes and not be judged for them, where you can have ideas and ideologies and you can just ideate, right? And you can just say like, sky's the limit and here's this crazy thought that I have. And you know, you can say it without someone being like, oh, okay, we can't talk to Kumar again because she just right. <laughs> she's all left of center. <laughs> mm. There's something I want to hook on that you said earlier, Kumar, that really resonates with me because I felt the same way. So this is going to sound really crazy to the audience and people that know me, but I think because you said this, this will resonate in the same way that what you said resonated with me is feeling like you're the odd person out and people going, wait, 
you've always been popular. What are you talking about? I felt that way in a good deal of high school until my senior year. My 30th high school reunion is coming up very soon. I actually had someone that I talked to very recently who's become like a good co-conspirator and like gets how the world is constructed similar to you and I say, Ron, even back in high school, you're one of the people I knew was always kind and generous to everybody, mm. no matter who they were. I was like, a word? <laughs> I was like, I think I was like that in high school. I didn't, it was just for me an orientation that came from my parents, mm. the child of Philippine immigrants, right? But I always felt in high school, even through some parts of college, right? Being in the Philippine club, I didn't always felt like I fit in other, like I, the point I want to make, and I'm curious how this helps you think about shaping community today, mm. is I would argue feeling like the odd person out centers us to be able to reach more people so that this idea of popularity means that we just are able to be in relationship and trust for the host of people because that feeling of feeling like the odd person out, even in circles like where you and I have been members for a long time, education leaders of color in Edlock, this is going to sound crazy to say, and I know I've had a lot of Edlock fam like you on this podcast, sometimes even there, I feel like an odd person now. And it's not, it's not because it's true per se. It's just a feeling yeah. that's, that, that just comes from deep inside of like this I always want to reach out to folks who feel like that they don't belong. Mm. That's really what comes because I never felt that I fully a thousand percent belonged. And I think you and I share very similar stories like that, right? But in different contexts. And so how has that helped drive you towards your sense of building community today? You know, I never put that connection together, but I think you're you're right. And it's funny when you say that even in Edlock or in other places where we know people know us, even an event, you know, I, I've gone into the event space pretty heavy lately. Yeah. So even in event, events that I host, I also feel like the odd person. I always have this like weird, odd person feeling. Sometimes people are like, come on, I see you just off in the corner, like in your own la la. And like, I'm there, Wusa, trying to get some energy, trying to get like back on track. But I think there is something to be said about feeling like the odd person out because it allows us to relate to people in, in a variety of different ways. And so we can bring, and this is one of the things that my friends are always saying to me, they're like, I can't, how did you think to yourself that you could bring all of these groups of people together? <laughs> yeah. You know, because in other people's minds, they're like, nah, that's like my group that I go play tennis with. And that's my group that I, I don't know, make business moves with. And that's my group that I talk education with. And you're like, F that, let's all come together <laughs> in community and they're like, and you're not anxious about it. You're not anxious about whether or not like they're going to get along or, you know, and I'm like, I think it's more about the the space that's created and that, that people feel uh, safe to be themselves. And that's something that I do think grounds the work that I like to do, which is people feeling safe. And maybe I do that subconsciously because I've always wanted places where I could feel safe. And I want to reach mm. those moments for folks where you can be safe to authentically be you. And, and and as we know, there are unfortunately, politically and, and for other reasons, lots of reasons why people like you and I do not often feel safe being who we are or look right. the way that we do. And yeah. so here are those moments that we can create that are safe spaces for everyone. So if you make the spaces for the people who are generally most targeted, then it's safe. And then it's a safe space for everyone, right? Like if they feel safe, then everyone can feel safe because you've you've created that that moment. And a lot of that has to do with like 
you know, I'm going to just say Planet Fitness. I, every time I say it, I'm like, Planet Fitness, judgment-free zone. There is something about making sure that there's a judgment-free zone where people can just authentically be who they are and they can just yeah. come on and they don't have to mm. put on airs and, you know, they don't have to keep up with the Joneses and we meet you where you are. And so like yesterday, you know, this is Miami life and, you know, friends who have yachts and they're like, you want to hop on? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> you got the private jet to have Ron Rapital and Shania Rapital and the kids come down for that? I mean, come on now. Just- <laughs> so, you know, so I invite some friends to come on. And then, you know, I had a friend call me, and, you know, they were anxious. They're like, what should I wear? Da, 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 da. I'm like, come as you are. Whatever. Like, if you want to roll through in your pajamas, does not matter. Like, that's the space that that we create. And those, are the, and those are kind of spaces that I like to be in. So if I say, like, you can come as you are. I mean, literally, just come as you are. You do not have to, like, pretend that, you know, you're wearing the most designer XYZ thing, you know. Listen, if your if your favorite store out there is Walmart, that's what you that's your shopping range, that then that's fine. Like we take you as you are. And yeah. that's the thing that that's most important to me. And then I think that helps drive like authentic conversation. And and that's not to say that like every time we're together, we have to have some really intense political uh diatribe. Yeah, a podcast episode like this where you bare your soul and say all these things about how you think and why, right? I mean, come on now. We could just have fun and we could just be kicking it. Right. You know, so the point is not necessarily like what we're doing. It's just making sure that the, the, that the space just feels really authentic and warm and, and loving. I guess in a lot of ways, I feel blessed in my life and I want to share as much of my blessings as possible. Of course, some of that is financial and resource and we'll talk about that, but a lot of yeah. that is just the beautiful foundation that my my parents have laid, um, my grandparents have laid, my aunts and uncles, and the, and the friendships that I've been able to form, and what that allows me to do. Because without those things, without that foundation, without that love, without that security, I don't know that I'd be able to be so bold and so right. this. And I want to take some of those blessings. So that's a blessing. Not everyone has that. And share that. And so I think that's I think that's one reason why I'm so about community. And I use the word love a lot. And I use the word safe a lot. Um, I use the right. word freedom a lot. The freedom to be who you who you want to be. Mm. So Yeah. Yeah. This is it, this is hitting me. And it's not just the C B D oil that I took for my pain management after my workout. Is what you just said like made my palms tingle. So when my palms tingle, something really clicks spiritually. Mm. And this idea of like how we build community and why, it just makes me realize, one, I'm going to zoom out, like why you're on this podcast. Because if you've listened to some of my other podcasts, there's a real thread of why I picked the people that I picked. And I know why, right? Because some of it, it's like, yeah, I mean, I I joked with you and I do with everybody. I was like, oh, I just want to record one of our convos because you and I just get along really well, right? But the reason why, like at the center of it, like I get along with so many of y'all well is this idea of like, what we value in the mm. world come as you are i mean i would argue the very way i create this podcast is come as you are right which requires i think the only reason people take that leap of faith with me because i'm sure every other podcast you do you get a script of questions am i right yeah people send me yes 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 did i send you script of questions come on before this no literally. why would i right but it's a different design right because some of it is like in my thinking of the definition of holding space, right, the space is, mm-hmm. dare I say it, 
my being, my presence, the way that I ask questions, yeah. I am creating the space because I am space. Yes. So it's like deeply personal. And like as folks come into my space, it's not my space, not my space, the website, but my space yeah. is our space. I think of this Philippine culture of value, Gapwa, shared, uni, interconnected. Is my fate is tied to your fate? Like being in the space with each other and thinking about how we come together, have conversation, come as you are. My intent is like, all I'm doing is allowing folks to just tell me their brilliance. All I'm doing is be really curious about it, right? Because that's just the way I've always seen it. That's the way that I like have been intentional about creating space, no matter where I am, like individually or in groups. Like I care about that so much, just like you. Like, <laughs> like you, you get really intense about this, Ron and Kumar. I'm like, yeah, I'm, if there's, you and I are intense about a lot. I'm really intense about that. Like I, I will get an argument. There's not a lot that I like to argue about, but that kind of stuff. Like I'm like, when I feel that folks don't, feel like they're belonging or I'm not, like that will, that lets Brooklyn Ron out. That's my alter ego. When Brooklyn Ron comes out, see, the see, this is not a video. One of these effing days is going to be a video podcast, right? People will see the B representing my, 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 my culture, the Philippines, right? I'm like, is that, is that Brooklyn Ron? Oh, oh Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Ron is intense. You don't care. Brooklyn Ron just run over people and smile and be like, and he flexes. <laughs> I don't like to bring Brooklyn Ron because Brooklyn Ron is not a space creator. Yeah. He's a space taker. <laughs> right. Listen, that's the New York, you know, where you just, you just have to fight for space. I mean, even the way the city is designed, I mean, we can go all into that, but it's, even the way the city is designed, you are designed to fight for space in New York, period. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so tell me, Kumara, because you just mentioned that you're in Miami, and I know this about you, that when we talked, you had made, this is my terminology, I, I, I would might call it a, a little bit of a leap of faith to move from New Jersey and settle into Miami. So tell the audience about that journey, how you've settled in, and what you're doing today in Miami. Yeah. So <laughs> I wish it was as thoughtful of a process as you made it. <laughs> So I said leap of faith, which is like thoughtful. Oh, it's like, F it. I'm, yo, what's up? I live here. Um, anyway. yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, I think like, I was like, oh, I'm going down to Miami. So I am, um, and this will tie into a, a, into like my sharing of resources, but I dibble and dabble in real estate. Uh, so I have some properties. So I bought some properties down here in Miami because uh, my parents invested in property here. And so we were coming here for Christmas for a number of years. Anywho, so I was flitzing about. And then of course the pandemic happened and you know we were all grounded. And so I was grounded at my house in New Jersey. And you know, I fell in love with it again. It reminded me why I bought that house 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, this is why I bought it. So lovely. And then six months into it, I got really tired of being <laughs> stuck in New Jersey and you know, through the winter and spring. So I was like, well, let me check in on my investor properties in Miami. And then I was like, okay, I'm not coming back. And like, literally, like, just like made a decision, not coming back, like whatever I had here. Um, I literally still like have half of my wardrobe and stuff back home in my my space in New Jersey. I'm sure my tenant was like, when are you going to come pick this up? Uh, <laughs> three years later. Right. But yeah, uh, I didn't know what, what I was getting into. I was just like, you know, this seems like a great place to spend the pandemic because I can be outside. And I really got into like playing tennis and helped to grow the Miami Tennis Club and 
Now I've got it. Now, Ron, I've gotten into golf. Like, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on out here. But I have fallen in love with the entrepreneurial tech and, of course, education community. And there's something really exciting about Miami. And one of the things I've realized about myself is that I'm a creator, right? Like, I mean, I guess I've always known this, but I mean it even like in the sense that I like to create companies, I like to create ideas, I like to create products. I'm like the birther. And then I want to be the auntie. Like, I don't want to be the hands-on parent. I want to give it off to somebody else. <laughs> and so there's mm-hmm. something really magical about what's going on in Miami. Miami, of course, has been around for a while, but more like a, as a tourist kind of party city. And it's now really finding itself in an infancy where it's trying to create like a really thoughtful entrepreneurial workforce development um, structure. Right. And I think it's really exciting to be a part of, I I imagine this is kind of like how New York was way back in the day, or even like Silicon Valley, or, you know, some more of these more established cities, like there's an infancy here, there's a birthing that's happening, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. And the community is open. It's still in that, in that space where they like love new thoughts and ideas, and they're not quite cemented and stuck in their ways. And so there's a fluidity there. I also Mm. think like Miami lends itself to that, right? Like, I mean, you know, we're from New York. So I think for a long time, it is true that New York is an international city, but Miami in another way, because of its proximity to the Caribbean, Latin America, Mm -hmm. has this other sort of international hub as well. And of course the cruise ships and like all the different ways that people can can come in and find space here and can find like their community. Right. So anyway, I I I say that all to say that like, there is just this contrary to what people think about Florida. Miami is a very different type of space. Oh, no doubt. Like Miami doesn't at times, all the times I visited, even pre DeSantis and all the hubbub in Florida or even pre, you know, W election. Right. Right. Miami always felt for me like, I mean, I hate to say this is in New York, and I know this offends folks from Miami. It's like it felt like New York, New York on the beach. Because I swear, every time I'd visit, especially with one of my homeboys, we used to go down like every year, and a weekend trip. And it's the usual like, what do people who visit Miami, particularly South Beach, do on the weekend? Kamar, you know what it is. What did what did my boy and I do? Well, up and down Ocean Drive, because that's what people do. <laughs> that is what people do. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously for those of us who live in right, that's like the Times Square, right? You're like, oh, okay, you guys, yeah. Yeah, you do that. You're like, okay, let them be. <laughs> <laughs> I like, as I tell people, I'm like, you know, the time you get me down to Miami Beach is if you invite me onto your yacht. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> how many times can Kamara say that? goals. You know, you know, and then this is the other phrase, like Miami life. You're living, living people's vacation. But the other thing I like about it is it's a soft life. And so I alluded to this earlier and you did too, like Brooklyn Ron is a taker, right? We take space, da, 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 New York. Every time I go back to the city, you know, I'm flying to Newark Airport and I'm getting closer and I'm like looking out the window and, you know, it starts looking industrial. Like I can feel my body start tensing up. I can feel like a more negative, tighter, less open version of myself coming in because I'm already thinking, how am I going to navigate traffic? How am I going to get to my next spot? Do I want to take the subway? Do I want to take the subway? 
how many blocks do I actually have to walk? Am I walking with these suitcases? Like, I mean, it's like a whole thing that you already doing, just figuring out how to navigate and manage. And when you grow up in it, you don't really realize that's what you're doing. But now that I've been able to take a step back, it is like, man, have I exhaled. And honestly, I want the soft life. People are like, oh, you know, I'm like, no, I do not miss the hustle. Bustle, why? I don't want to be stressed. I'm not trying to die early. Like, no, like, I'm just not trying to be out here living in a living a very gray life. New York is gray most of the time, you know. I was like, I'm, I'm just not into it. I, I want to, I'm going to relax. I want to breathe. I want to, I want to have fresh air. I live right on the, on the bay. Like, I get up every morning and I can hear mm. the water, the waves lapping. I'm like, that's my life. And I don't apologize for it. This is the life that we all dreamed of. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm living it. And I'm, and I'm grateful to be living in it. I'm blessed to be living in it. Um, and I want everyone to live their soft, their most soft and most joyful life. And if, and if that's in New York, cool. But I'm just saying, like, also take a break. Because sometimes there is something really, there's just a lot of yeah. chaotic energy in New York that um, I don't particularly think is healthy for a lifelong living. Yeah, I was talking about this with the missus. We just celebrated her birthday. and Happy birthday, Janita. Yeah, she's... um. I had a really good birthday with her and went to New York. We went to our favorite tapa spot on the Upper West Side, Buseo 95. No affiliate. I don't get no promotion. I just got to say, folks, you want to taste the Madrid real talk, go get their tapas on 95th Street between Amsterdam and Broadway. Tell them Ron sent you. <laughs> and we had lived in that neighborhood for three years. And so it was the first time we had been back to that spot together. I don't think I've even been there since we moved to, you know, Jersey City in 2013, right? And the food, the feel, and of course, driving to New York, it's the traffic, it's the stress, it's all this stuff. And it's funny because what Shanine and I often talk about when we enter the city, there it's almost like this infusion of like kinetic energy that is so hard to describe, even for like you and I as like folks who grew up in the area, but it's a buzz, it's a feel. It's like this, this vitality and even living just across the water, Jersey City feels like a suburb compared to anywhere in New York. It's true. It's so chill. I mean, it's why they call it chill town, right? I don't like that, Nick, because that's weird to me. I don't like all those nicknames that I think people outside of Jersey City put on Jersey City. I'm like, I, I've been here 15 years, try to be respectful of the space. I'm like, nah, it's just Jersey City, y'all. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, in our current iteration, right, we're living this softer life because we live in a quiet neighborhood. We have a backyard. We have space to get around. And yet when we want a little bit more cacophony and chaos, we can access it. But like to live that day to day, it's just, and I suspect like when you look at migration patterns in America, particularly for folks who look like us, I think that's why a lot of folks have started to move down yeah. south. Yeah. I think there is going to be a study on what I am coining as the reverse migration, right? The reverse great migration. We, mm. you know, we know the great migration from the 1950s and 60s that brought a lot of folks from the south to yeah. the city, to New York and to Chicago yeah. in particular. But yeah, you are seeing a huge reversal of folks either coming down south and or moving to um, smaller Midwestern cities, uh, you know, like St. Louis, for example, or Milwaukee. And yeah, yeah, you're seeing just that people want air, they want space. 
And I think it's easier in those areas to get community. You know, I don't know if it's because of the land. I mean, there's something about the geography, I think, that also allows for community and for people to to come into space. I mean, certainly here in Miami, where it is uh, sunny most of the time, you can always find community. People are always outside. Yeah, people want to be in the sun. Oh, I'm going to hang out on the beach. Go on my yacht. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm going to hang out on the beach. Go on my yacht. I know I'm hating. I'm so effing hating right now because as a child of summer born on june 28th being in sun there is nothing more like it's like having 85 starbucks shots <laughs> you know it is it's there is an energy right like even yeah. and, and there is something to be said about seasonal affective disorder you know when it becomes right. great people's energy levels get down you want to just cuddle in and you know you know you've got your cuddle weather and then, like, of course, when you're out in the sun, you've got vitamin D, you've got, like, all these things that are, you yeah. know, people are like, Kamara, you're glowing. I'm like, oh, I just because I'm out in the sun. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I was just hanging out, enjoying it, having a good time. I'm just having being. Oh, my goodness. Well, Kamara, we are rounding out towards the end of the podcast. So I'm a bookend with the other question that's scripted here. What is your rendering? Yeah, I think when I talk to folks, what ultimately ends up coming up as like the main thing that I just want everyone to take away, besides a love of humanity, is a love of self, um, self-love. I think oftentimes many of us don't love ourselves. And so we we are broken in, in ways and that shows up in so many different ways. So love yourself, even if you fake it till you make it. And what I mean by that is that Take yourself out on a date. Do the things that actually make you happy. Look in the mirror. If you're a person who avoids looking in the mirror, just look in the mirror. Find something about yourself that you love and say, I love that. I love my eyebrows. Uh, I love the shape of my hair, you know, whatever. I love that I'm a kind person. You know, whatever the case may be, find something that you love about yourself or remind yourself that you are worthy of love. And the way that you show that is to love yourself first. Mm. I love that, Kumara, because... We don't often get told to look in the mirror in that way and to think about the things that I was having this conversation with the missus um, on her birthday. And I remember in many a Catholic mass I went to, and now she and I go to Episcopalian church in downtown Jersey City, Grace Church, Van Vorst. And our pastor there was talking about Advents and why candles are such a big part of Advents. So I'm going to get to lo- like loving yourself. But I, I'm a you know, my mom's like, where the F is Ron going? He's got another damn tangential story again. Damn it, Ron Rapitalo, right? <laughs> but you've known me for 20 years. That's the way I roll, right? Absolutely. So the idea of Advent to candles is to, I remember the headline our pastor told, to accentuate the positive and dim the negative. If you think about like why candles have such this effect on people, right? Because it's literally like, as we're in this dope tapas restaurant, eating this amazing food, candlelight just everyone like glows under candles you see everyone's good like goodness yeah so you 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 see people's like who they are right and there's something around like what you said that makes me think of like if we can just hold the candlelight to ourselves damn (laughs) i'm gonna do a little uh dion like do i have someone around me can go ahead and trademark that You want to talk about master brander? I've been geeking out about Dion for the last two decades. I've been a Dion Sanders fan forever. Yeah. Right. And that's probably in a whole nother podcast about like 
how folks see him as an unapologetically confident black man. That's right. And when you show up like that, it comes with things. Yeah, right. it does. Yeah. That's more about them than about you, which is even better. And he knows it, right? like, and that's what he's like saying, yeah. doing. And he's like, "What you gonna do?" <laughs> Nothing, because he got he got plenty of receipts. I'm like, do you realize his two sport <laughs> oh, athlete yeah. and they played two sports games in one day? But like, do you, I don't know if like you followed what he does, but he is such a person of conviction that what he puts his mind to and the people around him. You talk about building his space and culture builder. Mm, yeah. He's he's gifted. I, there, there's people that walk like that, and that's not every athlete. Because not every athlete that reaches that pinnacle is is great at building space for other people to come together in a team. That's that, that's a very different gift than like being a singularly great athlete. So true. Yeah. So true. That's about being relational. That's about being human forward. You know, that's all of the things that make mm. managers that make people good educators. Um, it's not that you're a subject expert, it's that you're a people expert. I love it. Well, Kamar, before we head out, what would you like to promote? What do you got going on? You want to shout out to the Ronder and audience? Yes, yes, yes. I'm like, if you have a couple extra minutes, this is something that is near and dear to my heart. Mentioned again about giving blessings back. And so some of you may know that I, I do personally angel investing. I've invested into hundreds of small businesses across the United States throughout the last five to six plus years. So now what I'm really excited about is we've created a fund and the fund has two purposes. It's going to, mm. it's called your family and friends fund. What you'll see is a lot of times people like you and I, Ron, or other minoritized groups cannot just get access to the capital around their passions, around their business, the ways that our counterparts can easily do because of their access to wealth, their access to power. And so um, there are a few of us who can call upon friends and family to help you know, our dreams come true. And so I want to give that blessing to others. And so we are launching your mm. family and friends fund where each round we have 10 businesses, five that are for profit, five that are nonprofit. As you know, I'm very big on giving back and philanthropy, et cetera, et cetera. So everything we do has a philanthropic arm to it. And right. it is launching this week. So really excited about oh. that. We are raising $300,000 to be spread out across those 10 organizations. And every year we'll be doing the same thing. But what is great about it is that we are allowing people who have a little bit of disposable income, who want to invest, who have historically not been able to invest in businesses or in their philanthropic causes to, because they're not accredited investors, to actually come and give of their money and be a part of diversifying their investment portfolio. And as you know, investments and diversifying your investment portfolio is a huge wealth and legacy builder here in this country. So it's twofold. We're helping the businesses, but we're also helping individuals who want to start thinking about diversifying their investment portfolio. Um, that mm. will be launching this week. So of course, we'll send you the link so that you can pop it Thank on you. show notes. And mm. yeah, so we're really excited about your family and friends fund. That's dope, Kamara. I think offline, like I, you know, want to talk to you about that because my, my mind is percolating because my yeah. mind always percolates. I'm like, ooh, I'm sure you're talking to these people. You're talking to these people. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Ron. Oh my God. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity again and the Rondering community. <laughs> Absolutely. Rondering's universe. We continue to come. More amazing guests like Kamara 
And thank you, Kamara, for being here with me today. Peace, y'all. Such simple yet sage advice from the brilliant Kamara Thompson. Love yourself. Sometimes it's so easy to spend time in all the externalities, right? Your career, what other people think about you, paying mortgage, right? And like to believe that when you spend that time on loving yourself, good things are more likely to come in abundance in your life. I've heard this over and over again in terms of leadership lessons, career lessons, and I think based on what I've seen Kamara built in her life, it's just really simple yet sometimes really hard advice because of all the other messages we've heard about how to be successful and how to be loved, right? So Kamara, thank you for your genius. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Anyway, Ron fam, we got more coming. Peace. Peace.